Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're continuing our series of star studies we're calling Great Old Broads. Um, and we're discussing the career of silent film superstar Gloria Swanson, who's best known today for her brilliant comeback performance as Norma Desmond in the 1950 um, Billy Wilder film Sunset Boulevard. Um, but, you know, she had, you know, in order to even play that role, <laughs> it, it was pretty much necessary for her to have that great career that Norma Desmond um, has. In fact, one of the uncomfortable aspects of that film, or glorious, or both, <laughs> is is the discomfort of her playing a kind of madwoman version of herself with, you know, publicity photos of herself mm-hmm. everywhere in the film, etc. Um, but she's a fascinating star, and we should probably discuss you know, why we chose her. There's so many stars you, we could pick. Yes. Um, she she's a great one for looking at at the stu- the pre studio system. Right, she comes in right as it's just about to start. So she's pre studio system. So before uh, that whole star building system is in place, mm-hmm. that I think for all of our other stars we've been talking about as Hollywood products, other than Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee comes out of the British um, um, system, but mm-hmm. adapts immediately to American um, the American um, system. So we get to do a kind of rise and fall of Hollywood again through her, but she even predates, you know, a lot of the other stars, all the other stars we're talking about. So that's one of the main reasons. Any yeah. other main reasons? Well, I think what's interesting about her is that Gloria exemplifies in some ways the reign of the star, which mm-hmm. was the 1920s. And mm-hmm. people don't really know this. It's not as widely publicized. I think people think that the big studios controlled the beginning of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And certainly there were studios and there were po- and they were powerful. But in the 1920s, it was really the stars that ruled. And many of them... Um, it, so, so, you know, Swanson starts out in the teens with the advent of stardom itself. But by the early 20s, stars are become so powerful on their own. Many are making their own. Uh, they're producing their own films they're forming their own production companies. Mm-hmm. Um, several very powerful stars come together to create United Artists mm-hmm. for that express purpose for mm-hmm. stars to pool their resources and have control over their all own productions. So this is the glory, the glory era, glory, if you will, glory, <laughs> glory, <laughs> the, the glorious era of the star. Uh-huh. And then she's, she is, you know, um, rested back under studio control mm-hmm. during the thirties and forties, the big reign of the studio system. Mm-hmm. And contrary to what people might think, if they just know about her from Sunset Boulevard, she actually did not have a huge eclipse. She, she actually kind of trans, translated um i won't say yeah seamlessly at the time Mm -hmm. in the early 30s to talkies Mm -hmm. she didn't remain the huge star that she was but she did not fall off the map completely and she Mm -hmm. had a perfectly respectable career through Mm -hmm. the 40s including on stage and by the time she took the role in sunset boulevard um norma desmond's crazy but gloria swanson is the opposite Mm -hmm. she was extremely canny um like a, a very good businesswoman although with some huge debacles which we'll talk about which she learned from in the 20s. Um, and she was an early advocate of healthy living, including <laughs> veganism right. and yoga, and we'll get into all of that. So uh. she's not baddie, <laughs> but she did have this like huge, fabulous career, which lasted through the early 1980s, from the mm. teens until the early 1980s. So if you're going to talk about stardom, you got to talk about Gloria Swanson. It does seem like, and even, you know, again, it's another of those star among stars, even among stars, they looked at her and were like, holy God, (laughs) (laughs) because in her, in the great reign of the twenties, when there was so much star excess, she was even a wow 
among them. I mean, like the entrances yes. she made at her own parties are legendary. Right. <laughs> Practically having a spotlight hit her so she could descend the staircase in some insane <laughs> opulent outfit, just like right. she would do in the movies and have freeze the whole room. And <gasps> um, so, yeah, she was living that life off screen as well as on, which, of course, is part of what makes her such a great star. She's there for that key transition to the final definition of stardom which is you know at least if you if you read your if you read your film studies um you've got <laughs> to have that component piece where you where you're not just like i admire this professional performer on film <laughs> i would see them again it's yeah. it's what the hell is their life like behind the scenes they fascinate me so much i want to know everything right um right. and she's right there to be sort of receive that and be part of and exemplify that stuff so right. let's try to grapple. She can be a little odd to, you know, other than Sunset Boulevard. Everyone can watch Sunset Boulevard. And I swear to God, it's a, it's going to be a timeless movie and just immediately get the impact right. of her. She, it's one of the legendary performances. It's so good. Yeah. And it, and it both shows you, you know, some people think the film is a condemnation of the crazy of the 20s and a celebration of the 50s. That's just wrong. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't it insane? <laughs> they really do. It is every bit as much a celebration of the 20s and a God, everything got callow and bored right, right. <laughs> in the 50s. Um, so, yeah. So keep this in mind as you watch it. Yes, she's insane, but she's fabulous. Yes, exactly. Um, and and that, yeah, and that's you know going to be totally central to the film. And of course, again, she's she's born to play this practically. She's she's lived to play this art perfectly. Yeah. Um, so but let's talk about like what what the star image that she starts with before, of course, she becomes mainly known as the Norma Desmond character. Well, Swanson comes to prominence at a time when the concepts of glamour and mm. it are invented. So. Yeah. You know, in the 1920s, um, a, a newspaper columnist and sort of, you know, colorful Hollywood con artist type named Eleanor Glynn <laughs> yeah. co coins the term it to define mm -hmm. the sort of like unnameable new allure that the new woman of the mm -hmm. teens and 20s has. So the new woman, meaning a modern woman, mm -hmm. um, different from the old Victorian types of girls, uh, mm -hmm. you know, someone who goes out alone, dates men, uh, where, you know, raises, has short skirts, where, you know, has short hair. Mm -hmm. And it, basically it means um, sex appeal. Mm -hmm. And and Swanson is this. And it's perfect for her because she has a, a definitely a, a sexiness and an allure mm -hmm. and style, but it's not conventional beauty. Um, and she's the she's the sort of first or among the generation that is like the first of this type of like an exciting woman who's not who's not a conventionally beautiful, um, certainly not a Victorian stay at home or even aristocratic type, even though she does come to marry a French marquis. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> she's she's a Chicago girl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but who's always being cast in her heyday. And we'll get to those films, especially with Cecil B. DeMille as, you know, this director who directs her in six crucial films. Mm -hmm. She she becomes identified with just coming on screen again with in the most fabulous get-ups repeatedly. Mm -hmm. I mean, all pearls and silks and furs and laces and yes. peacock feathers and <laughs> you name it. Mm -hmm. It's all on her. And that she's so teeny, it's an amazing thing that she can carry it at all. Because she's like I know. five foot or five yes, foot one. Five, no, tiny. like five foot zero. Five foot zero. <laughs> she's teensy. 
Mm-hmm. And she, and again, you have to kind of get used to her looks. She's she's a natural camera subject. People were identifying this immediately. She practically gets plucked out of a crowd. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's almost at that level that she registers on film so well. Many many people can see it early mm-hmm. on, and she really does. She's vivacious. She's super responsive to whatever is happening within the frame. Mm-hmm. And she, so you you quickly adjust. And I think even at the time, they talked about her looks being a little odd, a little yes. a little unusual. Like she's not a conventional beauty. Mm-mm. So to describe, she's got a large head <laughs> on a <laughs> tiny body. Mm-hmm. Chaplin supposedly really knew she was going to be a big star and wanted her to be in his films and even even related to her as we both got huge heads on tiny bodies. We right. have a physical similarity. <laughs> We're both tiny. Um, but she she hated comedy and we'll get, she, you know, she professed to hate it anyway, even though she winds up being in a lot of comedy. So we'll talk about that later. Uh-huh. So he, that wound up not working out. But she right. does wind up doing a legendary imitation of Charlie Chaplin right. many times, and she can see it in Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Great, a great image. But she's so she's got a large, this large head that is the focal point. Even though you know you're going to hang clothes on her all over the place, and that'll also be arresting. Mm-hmm. But the face is first. What what you're going to notice in her, especially in her early films, she's got like hmm, it's kind of a long face, but a very defined face. She has a very strong j- jaw and chin lo- and chin. Mm-hmm. And a nose that that is kind of a ski jump nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely goes swooping up at the end. Yeah. Um, she's got enormous eyes. She's just enormous, ridiculous. Like, so, so she's a wonderful per- car- star to caricature. The yes. eyes are huge, and they're and they're, they're like, ice blue. Yes, they're pale. This pale blue that you know, and if they you put the eyeliner on her, it just becomes an um, she, it's an amazing <laughs> image. Yeah. Um, and she's great at publicity photos. So some there's gonna be some legendary photos that if you they were thrown up, you might even recognize that they're so beautiful and great. She was a great um photographer's subject, had mm-hmm. an instinct for it. Mm-hmm. You know, an example you might have seen, you might not have known it was her. Um, she's put there's lace placed over her black lace mm-hmm. placed over her face, and according to the photographer, and he's really famous, and I'm forgetting already. Ed- Edward Steichen. That's him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, he said I I put it o- over her face, and she immediately went into a kind of tigress in the jungle kind of mode, and you didn't even have to explain things like that to her. <laughs> right. She just instinctively knew what the dramatic and and marvelous thing to do would be with that kind of prompt. Right. So anyway, so she's got she's got those she's got a weird mouth. She's self-conscious about her teeth. Her mouth is small, but her teeth are are large and square. So it's almost <laughs> as if she's got more teeth than her mouth can yes. hold. And it's the one thing about her own looks that she seems not to be crazy about. But again, mm-hmm. it's a very distinctive like almost te- almost kind of teeth clenched smile that also just becomes an arresting part of her, her overall look. Definitely. And she's always got like a gash of lipstick and yes. her her father's Swedish and she definitely gets her light eyes and the, the ski jump nose from right. him. <laughs> and her mother was Alsatian uh, from, you know, Alsace-Lorraine and, um, and Polish, but she's a little bit olive skinned and Gloria actually does have a bit of olive. So the olive skin, con- you know, contrasted with the dark hair and the super light humongous eyes is really mm-hmm. very striking. Mm-hmm. Yes. And of like, you know, like all greats or like most great stars, she's very mm-hmm. symmetrical. And I maintain that mm-hmm. great movie stars are great because their heads and faces are oh, unusually they, large. True. It's I think true. that's even described in, um, what is it? Day of the Locust. Um, oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, there's a description of um, by Nathaniel West of how he's talking about actors in general, but you really see it in so many. 
um, um, Hollywood stars, disproportionately yeah. large heads. And he says that he says something like actors at a certain point, if they stick with it, become essentially all face. Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're used. It's almost like it, it grows because you're having to use it so much. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's so great. That is great. Yeah. You see it over and Cary Grant. It's yeah. His head's too big. So many stars. Their heads Ka- are too big. Catherine Deneuve, Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. I'm. If you meet Liza Minnelli in person, enormous head, little body. I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> a thing. <laughs> so if you don't have a large head, I'm sorry. You're never yeah. going to make it. Forget it, kid. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, she has a, she has this early, you know, career in the you know she literally she's starting off in 1914 mm-hmm. she's in SNA films in the Chicago branch mm-hmm. of that company so it's before the 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 move toward you know California becomes general but it's already starting and mm-hmm. again by 1915 16 you're getting the, the first of the major studios are setting up shops so universal and paramount i think are 15 and 16 right um and then of course there's going to be later ones MGM doesn't come along until i think it's 1924 um, there's going to be later additions to the main companies that you you know the names of. Um, but she's right on the right as it's a, that movement is about to come general. Earlier, filmmaking was concentrated on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So New York, New Jersey are the main places with some and a couple of companies in Florida. Um, how they manage the weather, I've never understood. How they last long, <laughs> you know, and Selig was in Chicago. But but it was it was. Just ghastly weather conditions. One of the great benefits, of course, of California is not only from from what we now call Hollywood, you can get to mountains, you can get to ocean, you can get to desert, you can get you can get to all these different landscapes for any mm-hmm. outdoor shooting you're going to do. But you know, you don't have to be constantly sweating snow. <laughs> yeah, rain. You have a lot of days. Yeah, that are nice. But you know, the, among the main reasons that they were making this move, just so you quickly know, they were trying to escape Thomas Edison's insatiable drive to lock up and monopolize um, the movie business by patenting everything mm-hmm. and trying to charge fees for everything. And it was such a cutthroat business and there were millions of companies, many fly-by-night ones that barely last any time at all, really chaotic. Um, it's, it's solidifying, but it's solidifying in such a bad way that right. a lot of um, these major figures are like, we just got to get out of, we got to get out of these states where, where Edison yeah. is dominant <laughs> and California's looking good to us. So anyway, She's going to wind up getting drawn out there right as the studio system is rising and star, the star-making system is, is rising with it. She's going to be the person to do this. Right. But, in, but she's interesting to watch in her early films. I ran across a really interesting quote from Louise Brooks. It's from a, uh, one of her unpublished essays. She was a great, in her later years, writer, though she didn't write nearly enough, about um, her Hollywood experiences. Very insightful. She's just talented writers and it's called lulu in hollywood is the collection and for some reason i guess this didn't make the cut but it, it exists somewhere <laughs> and she's writing about her great love of very very young like yeah that 1910s uh uh gloria swanson mm-hmm. and she loves her so much as a child she says i give away you know I, I i no longer care about dolls because i fall in love with gloria swanson and she's better than all the dolls in the world. <laughs> she's my doll she belongs to me i know how you and- feel <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she, there is something kind of doll-like, actually, even uh-huh. the big head. <laughs> yes. But she goes on and on about how she only really loves the really young Gloria. Hmm. She says she has such soft shadows of her face, and her face does catch light and, and handle light, especially in those um, that era before the lighting becomes sophisticated. They're shooting a lot of stuff just outside. Yes. They're just yes. using sun, which is glaring <laughs> and oh, going to cast harsh shadows. And, and that's why people would use grease paint so they wouldn't their feature wouldn't wash out. 
in this harsh glare often, but right. she's got such great bone structure and such defined features, she shows up. So I'm sure that was just, uh, people just saw that immediately. What a huge advantage. Yeah. But she's very delightful and sweet. And, and, and Louise Brooks just describes her in terms of adoration. She had then such a little nippy nose. <laughs> she, that's, a, that's a quote. Uh, she had adorable <laughs> tiny feet. <laughs> Everything about her is just adorable. And then she stops liking her as, as Gloria Swanson moves on to greater and greater stardom. She mm. says, my Gloria starts to go away. She seems to get a harder look to her face. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally, she's aging for aging. one thing. And yeah. She's becoming an adult and she's losing that kind of soft thing. Um, but she says she starts to wear a lot of makeup and she starts to professionalize in a way that 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 Louise Brooks doesn't like. She, so yeah. she sees her in Manhandled, for example, and she's doing a comedy routine. You can that's easy to find on online. Um, where she's riding this, she's a working girl riding the subway and just getting mauled every which way, and it's comedy. She's very good at comedy. She's hilarious. She's really good. And yeah. but you know, Louise Brooks hated it. She's just like, oh, I can see it. You're so practiced now. You know, you got oh. a little bag of tricks now. So she really, she's got an ob- obsession with how adorable young Gloria is. And it's true. If you watch some of the early films, she gets paired early on with when she's with Max Sennett. It's mm-hmm. obviously comedy, comedy, comedy. That's the Keystone Cops. Um, she does so, a number of films with an equally tiny actor. They're about the same height, Bobby Vernon, and mm-hmm. they're an adorable couple. And Louise Brooks loved the way she was so delicate in comedy. And, and, and Swanson herself has talked about how she just played them seriously. She hated the crudity. Right, right. <laughs> of slapstick comedy, and she wanted no part of it. Yeah, she Gloria's felt, really uptight in this way she's that, like, a huge stick up her ass about, yeah. about comedy and her own dignity when she's a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And it comes out of nowhere. She's from nowhere posh, you yes. know, like, her family's definitely working class, um, mm-hmm. especially her father. And she, I don't, I don't know, she puts on all these airs, like, almost like a Tennessee Williams heroine, like, almost mm-hmm. in a Blanche Dubois way, because you're like, meanwhile, Swanson's sleeping with everyone Absolutely. west of the <laughs> west of the mississippi we'll yeah. talk about that too but it's like she does have this like prudishness and you're like from whence did this proceed did this come? Yes. <laughs> standing on but, your dignity when you're like 16 or whatever. right <laughs> what i don't know <laughs> and they kept wanting to cast her in in comedy 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 and she's terrific i just watched oh. one and i'm just like she's marvelous you know There's- but it's partly because she just commits she said, I just played it seriously. And I'm like, but you're, yeah, you're not supposed to play comedy like you're yucking it up. Right, <laughs> you, right. She just commits to the part and she gets into all sorts of scrapes and has to do all sorts of wacky things. But she plays it like earnestly. And right. she, you can really see there's one I watched. It's called The Sultan's Wife. It's so absurd. I'm short. Yeah. And there's animals in it. There's both a dog, a pet dog and a pet monkey. Oh. And she's wonderful with animals. She just wow. She can play little scenes with animals. And she's just very that 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 immediacy of response, especially when animals can act you off the screen because they respond to everything. Right. It's such amazing naturalness that you compulsively watch them. She can get in there and not have them steal the scene. Very impressive. Very impressive. It, there's a great two reeler called The Danger Girl from this period. Oh, yeah. 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 Ni- Nineteen sixteen with Bobby Vernon. Mm-hmm. And she cross dresses the whole time. It's very mm-hmm. delicious. Very delicious. He does the Sultan's a- thing too. They exchange their outfits. He has to be the harem girl and she has to be the soldier. 
Oh my God. Okay, I need to Google that immediately. Yeah. (laughs) The teens were crazy, but she's, no, she's so cute. And she, you know, it gets into like a little Yentl scrape where like the girl falls for her. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's it's delicious. And it's very Mm -hmm. fun. So most of these are on YouTube. The Danger Girl. And what was the one that you watched, Eileen? It's called The Sultan's Wife. Or And there seems to be another title on the short that I I think some of them had multiple titles. It's also called Caught in a Harem. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 so yeah, those are up there. Um, okay. And, and, she, and, you know, and I can see what Louise Burke means. She's adorable when young in a way. She, like her hands will be flapping and fluttering. And she's just, she has very, very, she's just cute in a way. I, I don't mm-hmm. think she's ever going to be again. Right. Um, but again, it's part of, part of youth. But it's that, it's that eager responsiveness that's so, so adorable. And again, she photographs so well, even in really harsh, crude lighting. Yes. A, yeah. So I'm sure that has a huge, a huge impact on, on her stardom early on. Definitely. Okay. Thanks. Next steps. I'm trying to remember how she gets, well, how she gets to DeMille. Wallace Beery, first of all, like a oh, trivia it. moment. Gloria oh, Swanson's yeah. first husband was uh, Wallace Beery, <laughs> the big burly comedian. And yeah. he was exactly like you would think he would yes, be in bed. Crude, slob, <laughs> horrible. Yeah. yeah. He's, she's apparently raped on her wedding night because yeah. he's just a ruffian all around. Yeah. It, yeah. it was horrific, and she got pregnant with this child, but she aborted it with some, mm. like, awful, you know, m- method of, like, drinking some kind of concoction, Ish, and yeah. she had to recover from that for a couple months. It, mm-hmm. it just sounds gruesome, but you can't keep Gloria down. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, I, I believe after Keystone Studios, the Mac Senate mm-hmm. days, she was picked up by Triangle, or mm-hmm. are they... And then... Um, uh, there, I think she was approached by Cecil B. DeMille, who was associated with famous players Lasky. Right. And it, it was the DeMille pictures that really made her the Gloria Swanson that, like, people knew best in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And those were, those were, like, more than just drawing room comedies. They were sex comedies of mm-hmm. their day. And mm-hmm. she was usually playing some spoiled rich woman. And mm-hmm. it was an opportunity for her to to wear amazing clothing and to not wear amazing clothing. Um, <laughs> right. so. And they're interesting, too, because if you read about screwball comedy, um, the, there's a subset of the DeMille comedies that are talked about as impor- an important step towards screwball because they ah. feature divorce. So one's why... Why, what is it? Why, why divorce, divorce your, your husband? husband and one's why change your wife? I think mm. that's right. Mm-hmm. And why change your wife is I, I watched part of that. I forgot to you that I did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's very much she, she starts off as, you know, in, in each case, it'll be one or the other. That's the problem. And why should you leave them? In the end, they wind up together again, but they have to go off and marry other people or be with other people and do and transform themselves before they can come back together again. OK. Um, and there's a pattern of, uh, of a subset of scribble comedies that are like that, too. Um, so anyway, um, she 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 winds up being a kind of boring. She's become very boring and and kind of dictatorial housewife with her husband who winds <laughs> up leaving her, and then she has to get him back by becoming a, a lovely, attractive minx again. Okay. And she's very good at minxiness. <laughs> yes, very very good. Yeah, yeah, and it gives her, of course, a reason to get all dolled up and become, you know, a, also a temptress and all of these other things that she had given up as as a as a you know, kind of dull, repressive wife. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, and similarly, she makes another big film that's important for her called Male and Female for mm-hmm. DeMille in 1919. And it's so DeMille. I mean, if you've ever seen like any of like, he made two versions of the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah. He's always like got this like Victorianism mixed yeah. with the, the Victorian the sort of like <laughs> the what? Well, he mixes like the Bible, you know, and it's also important, but it's you you get to do all the most salacious stuff and exactly to get to the to get to whatever to get to the coming of the Christ or the the Ten Commandments or whatever biblical thing. So it's a perfect use for sin. Exactly. Exactly. And this is this is no different. It's a, it's actually kind of adapted from a, a play or a mm-hmm. story by uh, J.M. Barry mm-hmm. about um, a, a British family with a very uh, capable butler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Gloria Swanson plays the the spoiled eldest daughter. And mm-hmm. long story, they all get shipwrecked shipwrecked in the South Seas. Mm-hmm. The butler proves himself the true man of the assembly mm-hmm. assembled humans mm-hmm. and they have like this really weird dream sequence where <laughs> Gloria Swanson wearing like a backless dress and draped mm-hmm. with pearls and this mm-hmm. huge peacock headdress mm-hmm. has to enter the lion's den with a literal lion yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it rests its paws on her back and she filmed that fucking scene even DeMille mm-hmm. was afraid to film it he was like yeah, he didn't he was gonna call it off and she begged him Yep. Please don't I have to do that thing? Yeah, and she lays down and lets the lion come over. And oh. there's the lion with its paw on her naked back. And you're like, all right. It's amazing. And then that's when he starts calling her young fella. Right. Some sort of, I don't, I don't quite get the connection, but it's some sort of way of paying tribute to her being courageous and up game for anything. Right. Um, and she, he calls her that in Sunset Boulevard when mm-hmm. Cecil Beaton Mills is in there playing himself. And there's very, very poignant scenes of him with. Norma Desmond, mm-hmm. uh, also <laughs> Gloria Swanson, yeah. talking about their glory days together, and it's her desperate hopes that they can do it again. In the we know they can, right? Um, yeah, but it's it, and you know she does a number of these things. She seems highly willing to do dangerous stunts. Um, yeah, you know, I think is maybe it is in Danger Girl where she has to drive like wildly all over the place. Is that the oh, one? Maybe uh, it doesn't ring a bell. But... I can't remember. There's a, there's one sequence where where she and she does the driving and she really does just drive like a holy terror. Oh God! You know, so she did. She was she was up for these kinds. kinds of challenges which endeared her um damn so yeah yeah, but he's very much he's mr spectacle and he stays that way obviously he's the guy doing the biblical epics but um so yeah so his films are are hilarious conceits and there's always all that moralizing but really you're there for for the you know for the sex the trans you know uh male and female is the biggest s&m fantasy in the world you right. know, the butler who has had to take your orders and bow and scrape now turns into the dominant male. He's literally called king on, yeah. on this South Sea Island because he's so dominant and can kill a leopard with a bow and arrow that he carved himself. And it's just absurd. The whole thing is an absurd, absurd fantasy. And then, of course, it comes back. They come back into civilization and they go right back into their former role. So right. and, and 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 in the midst of that, this this ridiculous dream fantasy sequence of ancient Babylon or something, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. And she's being sent into the lion's den. Because um, so, he's yeah. a Babylonian king That's and right. she's a Christian slave. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's the why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Match. So yeah. it's, it's hilarious, but you can also see why that kind of lurid spectacle would just have been a, a huge thrill, a thrillerama. <laughs> right. <laughs> For right. audiences of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but we'll go oh, ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, but, I was just going to say, this is where her reputation as a clothes horse, so-called, no, they really called yes. them that, you, where there were other women who would wind up having similar careers. Kay Francis is one, but she, she's, she might be the first who's just mm-hmm. scene after scene, the, the, the clothing budget, the costume budget alone just must have been unbelievable because she had to show up in, in re- repeatedly in the most staggering, how does she even walk and all that kind right. of outfits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's, and also at this time, I think, I mean, she's kind of unique in that she's definitely always playing the glamorous female lead. Um, There is all, there is an element of the femme fatale about her. You know, men are willing to like sacrifice themselves for her. She's like alluring and glamorous. As an American, she's usually not allowed to be all bad. Like, she Mm -hmm. can't be 100% femme fatale in these films. Like, she is usually redeemed in some way. Um, But it's interesting, like, in my knowledge of stars at this time, like, like, late teens, early 20s, she is the only American who's glamorous Mm -hmm. in this way. Like, her peers are people like Ala Nazimova, Russian you know, who comes Mm. from like the theatrical, the theater and art scene, Pola Negri, also foreign, and Mm. eventually Garbo, you know, but Swanson is the only American who's like of that ilk, that ultra glamorous Mm. kind of, kind of dark, kind of femme fatale type. Mm. Um, Mm. But again, usually redeemed by some like really twisty trick of the narrative at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So, and her peers, the other Americans, I should say, the other women on screen are people like Mary Pickford, Lillian Gish, or, Mm -hmm. you know, straight up comedians like Mabel Norman. So um, they're much lighter in sort of type and fair. They're they're much more like virginal in the types they play. That Mm. is never Swanson's type. Mm Mm-hmm. So and and of course she she really starts to fascinate people at the same time with how she's living that way off screen. She dedicates herself to being a star on and off screen. Yes. Always in an epic style. Okay. So so not until Joan Crawford comes along are you going to have someone more dedicated to being a star? All the time. <laughs> Just oh, all the time. she knew she knew her role, and I would mm-hmm. say, like as the twenties roll on, she she marries a banker for a hot second, mm-hmm. has a kid, but it's really mm-hmm. her third marriage in yes. about nineteen twenty five or twenty six to the Marquis de La Falaise de La Coudre. Right, um, perfect. Very, very and if, oh, we should note in if you've seen Singing in the Rain, which you might have, there's a there's yes! a mockery of of her where it's it's sort of her but the clearest aspect of the star is walking the red carpet it's very glamorous darkly glamorous star and with her is the baron de la Toulay de la Toulon. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just the hilarious and she insisted that didn't she insist on being called by her title oh she did she's uh, the, yeah the, the mark the mark the, what marquisa i don't know Garcia? something the, like that i forget the, i don't know what you say Madam, Madam, <laughs> yes, everyone had to know call her by her fabulous title, and she really, you know, creates a run on titles. So yeah. you know, so it becomes a fad for a while that stars have to go find themselves some often uh, impoverished no, but, right, right. aristocrat with a title to marry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he had no money, so he was None. happy to be hauled around to like you know Palm Beach, Beverly Hills, wherever. Yes, yes, um, and it's a little poignant because it sounds like he was actually a very nice man. Yes. <laughs> Unlike a lot of the people maybe that she got involved with, that he was he was quite his ch- her children loved him. Just said he was a lovely person. 
He seems sweet. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he was a sweet guy. So it's a little sad. It, it doesn't. It doesn't last. <laughs> no. Nothing does. But it very much it augments, of course, this this version of the the opulent, extravagant star. She just spent fortunes of money. Everything, everything gilded. Yes. Everything, entourages and multiple houses just just decorated to the nines. Every one of them. I, her- um, just it's scary to even read about the spending that was going on. Allegedly, her perfume budget was five hundred dollars a week. At a t- this is at a time when the average yearly household income in the United States was sixteen hundred dollars a year. Oh, okay, so five hundred bucks a week on perfume. Yes, <laughs> oh, and that that makes so much sense when you look at the Demille films because he keeps doing close-ups. I was fascinated of like luxury objects. Uh, so there's a bathing scene. Bathing scenes were very big in the, in the late teens and twenties. Yeah, with the star or ba- bathing and dressing. <laughs> it was a way to do erotics that you could sort of motivate. Anyway, uh-huh. she's about to take an elaborate bath. This is in male and female. Then the servants have to do all this elaborate prep, and the water has to be an exact temperature. Else, but mm-hmm. they keep closing in on the bottle, the the bottle of expensive bath salts, of rose water, of perfume, of yes. this and that. Clearly, and you know already. They're doing the kind of movies as shop window, as glamorous shop window. So you can mm-hmm. look and admire all these expensive, you know, items that you'd love to own. Yes. And no one did that more frequently than Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was always appearing in the pages of magazines wearing, you know, furs by so-and-so, mm-hmm. dresses by so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was the uh, inventor of that. And this is, you know, obviously Joan Crawford, among others, took note, as you yes. said. And Joan Crawford is in, in so many ways being modeled when she's young on Gloria Swanson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even early shots of her, if you put a shot of her next to Gloria Swanson, the same thing. Enormous eyes lined so to play up the light colored eyes that are huge and dominating the face. And it looks like, almost identical. Like they're setting up um, Joan Crawford to do exactly the same publicity still that was once done by Swan. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they star in some of the same films. They star in right. um, Sadie Thompson slash Rain uh-huh. four years apart. Swanson right. does the silent version, but it seems like a lifetime four years later when uh, Crawford does the, the talkie version. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is a woman, she had an orchid colored Rolls Royce, more than one in the 20s, <laughs> another one in the 50s. Uh-huh. Um, she's, fa- yeah. you know, in Sunset Boulevard, there's the famous um, Isada Fraschini, um, which is this car that part of the plot revolves around. Mm-hmm. So luxury items, that is definitely a part her, of her, her image. And, yeah. and mind you, you didn't have to go, you know, she stakes that out as a really her claim to fame. But like mm-hmm. someone like Greta Garbo goes exactly the opposite way. Mm-hmm. She's so averse to publicity that a, and when she gets any power, she won't do any. And they mm-hmm. have to come up with this whole this whole persona that admittedly seems to fit her. The Sphinx, <laughs> where she won't do publicity. Not at all. It's a brilliant <laughs> move. It's a brilliant yeah. move. Oh, it's brilliant. Because it just makes her even more desirable. You can't even get a glimpse of her. You can't get a word out of her. She just, and it goes perfectly with her star persona. This very mysterious. She's a temptress. She's a world weary. Somewhat, it's always somewhat remote one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and she was very, you know, she was a very kind of plain living Swede. She saved all her money. <laughs> right, right. She wore plain suits and sensible shoes and everything. <laughs> she was not, there was going to be no peacock feathers. None of that <laughs> for, for Greta Garbo. Yeah. So it's not like that would becomes the only way to go. Though, if you look at images from the 20s, you, you, the first thing that would occur to you is, what well, boy is that ever Swanson's era? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of ultra luxury, but she seems like she's moving it. 
she's the one who defines it because then then you know if you look at the houses of the 1920s insane levels of baroque splendor oh my god um, the garden of allah yeah uh, built by allah nazimova <laughs> named yeah. after her not not the name for god um <laughs> johnny weissmiller's place that had his own lap pool but that it was built a one-lane lap pool that was just circled the entire property so oh my god swim his property amazing just every elaborate thing you know people are walking leopards on leashes it's that yes, kind of yes. <laughs> and and with that comes like actual power because they do the stars at this time have so much money and they begin producing their own films so it's at this time in 25 26 that swanson wants more control over her own projects she becomes her own producer um ala nazimova was doing it back in the early 20s Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, it bears like repeating that women at this time are, are producers and it's Mm -hmm. not really that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, it becomes a big deal when, when the studio system takes over and then, you know, you've got like a woman director, Dorothy Arzner Mm -hmm. and, and Ida Lupino, I guess, um, you know, for the next 30 years. Yeah. They start steadily (laughs) squeezing women out of all the other roles other than you can always stay an actress star. Right. That that's fine. But even at that, they start reigning in star power to the extent that by the time you get to the 1930s, my God, that's the era of the draconian contracts where yes. stars are worked practically to the death. Of course, they're making a lot more money than ordinary Americans, but it's nothing compared to what a Gloria Swanson was making. And they don't have power. That's going to come in after the World War II when you right. start again having stars breaking out refusing to do those draconian seven-year contracts that would always turn out to be 10 years because they'd keep tacking on time every time you were ill or or refused to do a terrible picture. Yes. You know, so, they get, so yeah, the studios rest control back in a really punishing way. Um, and then, yeah, start, start reclaiming it again and having production companies and all that jazz again in the late 40s and 50s. Right, right. But she she produced some interesting films. Like there's a film mm-hmm. that I think was uh, kind of trashed. Um, not not during its time actually. It's called The Love of Sonia. It's mm-hmm. one of the first films she ever produced. Um, 25 or 26. Um, I think mm-hmm. it was like made in 25, released in 26. And um, later it got it, it it absolutely made back its money. It was kind of artistic. It means I think I think the name Sonia. It's it's like a it's a it's a, it comes from a Sanskrit word. Mm. It it means like void or emptiness, literally. But I think it oh. kind of like refers to a, a general idea of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And it's this crazy like acid trip of a movie about this woman <laughs> who who like can see um four possible paths that she can take in her life, so she can mm-hmm. like see four futures. Mm-hmm. And um one of the people who was called in to do the camera work was the guy who did ballet mechanique. And there mm-hmm. were all these crazy be- Dudley Murphy. His name, right? Dudley, yeah, wow. Dudley Murphy. Wow. Yeah, and there are all these crazy, like, double exposures. It's very artistic. So, oh, I, I think gotta watch this. What's it called again? It's called The Love of Sonya S U N Y A. It's on mm. YouTube. Okay. Um, but I think you know, it got I think it got trash for being too artsy, like it retrospectively. I think you know, mm. in the 50s, 60s, when people wrote about it, they're like, oh, it was like overblown and a failure. It really wasn't. It made mm. people have looked at it again and it made back its money and it was like quite interesting and daring. So that mm. was I, one of her first um, efforts producing her mm. films with United Artists, which she joined. And United mm. Artists consisted of, okay, help me, Eileen, Mary Pickford, yes, um, Charlie Chaplin. Douglas Fairbanks Sr. Yeah. and D.W. Griffith. Word. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so all those kids. So her mm-hmm. peers, you know. <laughs> her peers, yeah. yeah. She's usually not mentioned, which is weird. That's so weird. The I others think... all get mentioned and she doesn't. I don't know why. 
Well, she was only there for a couple years, mm. and then um, it, Joe Kennedy enters her life. Oh, right. Um, and Ke- so, okay, it should be said, by now, you know, mid to late 20s, Swanson's on husband number three, the Marquis, bless his heart. Right. Um, her second husband, before the Marquis, actually mm. publicly in their divorce proceedings accused her of having affairs with over 13 men. Um, <laughs> all of those accusations are probably true. Um, <laughs> they, they, like, they included DeMille in, like, every co-star that mm. she had. Um, <laughs> and and beca- because of that, she actually had a morality clause put into her contract for famous players Lasky. Mm-hmm. So United Artists would be another way to get out of that. But anyway, she was, you know, kind of used to seducing men mm-hmm. and um joe kennedy who's an outlier in the history of of movies mm-hmm. when we say joe kennedy we mean jfk's dad mm-hmm. um the boston i don't even know what you would call him finance financier <laughs> Mogul? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean he was he was an outlier because the movies were controlled by jewish mostly jewish immigrants from mm-hmm. you know canada and the united states mm-hmm. who had been things like you know I don't know, furriers and whatever. Love salesmen and junk salesmen and really unglamorous working class positions. And they, they rise through this new medium that initially is so, so what not respectable that that leaves openings for people to get in on the ground floor. Right, exactly. And and um, Kennedy himself had to scrap, you know, in his own way, because he was mm-hmm. Irish Catholic in Boston, mm-hmm. which, yes, was heavily Irish Catholic, but was still controlled by Protestants. Mm-hmm. And he became, you know, he rose to prominence in like some bank positions. And he was one of the first sort of like, you know, Wall Street figures to eye mm-hmm. Hollywood and think that you could make a huge profit off of it. Mm-hmm. So he swoops in and it's it's complicated what he does with Swanson. But um, basically, he he makes himself the he puts himself in charge of her affairs mm-hmm. they create a new production company gloria productions mm-hmm. and um with him she makes two films that uh one is sadie thompson mm-hmm. which is a, a really big deal um sadie thompson is the name of the short story by somerset mom on which the play rain was based and and rain in the 20s was like the hot racy drama of its day um mm-hmm. Jeannie goals was legendary for playing the character of sadie thompson on stage it's basically about a a, a prostitute who gets stuck on a in the south seas with um a reformer i believe in the play he is clergy he couldn't be yes. a clergyman in the movie because mm-hmm. that was against the production mm-hmm. code um you couldn't you couldn't have bad clergy members but anyway <laughs> yeah right. but he's he's played by lionel barrymore in the mm-hmm. film as a as a reformer and of course he he makes her like repent for her sins and she goes through this whole spiritual like you know phase of angst and mm-hmm. um she lets go this young uh army guy who's fallen for her mm-hmm. and um kind of like gives herself over to the reformer spiritually to be guided. And mm-hmm. of course he, it's kind of unclear, but it, it, it seems that he rapes her and then yeah. kills himself. Right. So, you know, light, light fair. <laughs> and this yeah. had always been the, the, the Will Hayes and his buddies mm-hmm. who ran the um, motion picture producers and distributors of America uh, put rain basically on a blacklist. And they said, and uh, like all of the producers in Hollywood basically said, none of us are going to produce it, mm-hmm. this. It's too racy. So Swanson mm-hmm. did like a backdoor thing where she asked Somerset mom for the rights to the short story, mm-hmm. not the play. Um, and wanted to do it that way and change some details so that, that the film would be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she ends up getting it made. It's it's a big deal because all of these guys would have jumped at the chance to produce this if mm-hmm. they knew they could do the backdoor thing that Swanson did because uh-huh. it was the hottest it was the hottest play of its day. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she gets it done. Um, but it it almost breaks her. There's like there are a series of she's producing it. There are a series mm-hmm. of things that go wrong. They mm-hmm. have to change cameramen throughout. Um, it's directed by by Raoul Walsh, legendary mm-hmm. director who also plays the lead, the like romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an, it's an amazing, beautiful film, but it costs like a gajillion dollars. Um, she was nominated as best actress. Um, the cinematographer George Barnes was also nominated for at the first Academy Awards. Um, but it was, it was just so much money. So she's, it was almost a million dollars. Um, and it, they did, they did make their money back, but their second project, um, it, it was Queen Kelly. And they wanted to make Joe Joe Kennedy wanted to make this film. Interrupt me if I'm missing something, Eileen. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. You okay. Got it all, far okay. As I know <laughs> because he he wanted to do something mm-hmm. important. Like they'd made these melodramas and whatever. Um, and he he's like, all right, we're gonna do something you know respectable here. Mm-hmm. So they hire Eric von Stroheim, mm-hmm. the the legendary German director who's made mm-hmm. Greed, whose director's cuts are between like four to eight hours long, mm-hmm. who is like infamous for doing like hundreds of takes and being such a perfectionist that it is guaranteed your film go will go like very over budget Mm -hmm. and von stroheim pitches this idea of a film called queen kelly about an evil queen who Mm -hmm. is engaged to um a nobleman Mm -hmm. um and the nobleman is like doing his stint in the military he sees a girl a convent girl Mm -hmm. steals her away in the night deflowers her Mm -hmm. she undergoes a whipping by this evil queen (laughs) and then she goes off to north africa and to visit an aunt who owns a brothel and she becomes the proprietress of the brothel okay like i don't know how the fuck they're gonna get this past the sense (laughs) but but they're like ah but you know von stroheim surely this will be good um the movie again it costs but it's they're eight hundred dollars in the hole they've only filmed half of the movie by the time swanson knows what's going on she doesn't know how snm eric von stroheim has made it (laughs) he's like secretly shot all these scenes that make it clear that they're in not just a brothel, but like a multiracial brothel, which they're showing on scene in the 1920s, extremely racy. And she thinks uh, Queen Kelly is the proprietress of a dance hall. (laughs) But he's made her a hooker, and there are all these like reaction shots she doesn't even know have been shot. For instance, when she's a convent girl, she gets mad at the queen's um, fiancé for basically flirting at her. She takes off her underwear Underwear and throws it at him. She didn't know that there's a reaction shot of him sniffing her underwear. (laughs) What? So they made they made this whole fucking thing. They had a they fired von Stroheim like halfway through. They had to hire a bunch of other people to finish the film. There's no way this is getting past the censors mm-hmm. in the United States. It doesn't even get released in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it it does get released in Europe. It's not sort of uncovered and discovered until years later. I've seen it. I've even taught it. I love this movie. It's mad, <laughs> but it's but it's Str- totally von Stroheim S&M. is great. It, he's it, so yeah, great. He's an S and M nutter. <laughs> yeah but god he's great i mean, oh, uh, it's I, mean so the, I always mean to watch all of his films not that there are that many i've only seen the wedding march and yeah it's just so staggeringly gorgeous it's, he's always very interested in the most disgusting 
lurid, awful side of human nature. Yes. But there's a, but the sheen of the film, he gets the silver nitrate sheen of black and white film to the point that everything is heartbreakingly beautiful. Yes. And again, if you watch, if you watch uh, Sunset Boulevard, you'll see footage from from Queen Kelly when she's the convent girl. So I think she's still the convent girl when she's she's yep. praying and there's candles all around her face. Yeah, and it's just magical. I'm sure that's why. She, and that's the scene where she famous scene where she says, "We had, we you know, we didn't need words. We had faces then." <laughs> and the, that and the film is there to show you that's what a face was. And she she she, she looks wonderful. She couldn't look more wonderful. Yes, yes. Um, so it's heartbreaking that von Stroheim, he was great in a way that even that those opulent days couldn't sustain. <laughs> Right, right. You know, there's a famous exchange between him and Irving Thalberg when he's getting fired off something else or or they're trying to rein him in. I forget what film it is before he gets fired. Yeah. And and he's 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 showing he's showing the footage and he's saying, you see, you see these shots with the shoes. It shows that he's got a foot fetish. And, right. and and Irving Thalberg says, and you've got a footage fetish. Look at us. He, yeah, he could not contain himself at all. He would just shoot, 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 and and nothing but the best. He also had all the underwear in whatever movie it was, uh-huh. you know, handmade by nuns, and you know, at some insane expense. And and they'd be like, no one can see them, and he'd be like, but the actors know. Oh my so god, it was no expense spared all the time with him, and so even even studios, opulent studios like MGM, couldn't afford. Right, right, and it well, you know what's interesting it, at the um, it's actually Greg Toland. Is that how you say his name? You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, like uh, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane, Greg Toland, Greg Toland who yeah. finishes the film. Oh and, wow! Yeah, Gloria Swanson ends up directing the end of it, so wow. it's worth your time for this one. Oh, I've only seen clips. I need to watch it so much. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's it's nuts. It's pretty great. And mm. so so anyway, Kennedy. Um, I the, the word is guides her through this, but that you know that's not true. Um, he really fucked her over by mm-hmm. not just by jumping into this, but he was posing as her financial advisor. That's how he worms his way into her life, and he always he, Joe Kennedy frequently operated this way. He would offer his advice and his expertise and consulting, you know, for mm-hmm. free, and then hope that you would hire him on for a job, which is what Gloria Swanson did. She was nearly broke. Mm-hmm. Um, as a producer, say like Sadie Thompson pretty much broke her. I, I misspoke earlier. I said that mm. he he produced um helped her produce Sadie Thompson. That's not true. He mm. kind of comes in at this end of Sadie Thompson to help her get her affairs in order. Mm. So mm. she has enormous debts. <laughs> We've established mm. she's not good with money. Um so mm. and she she's still married to the Marquis. Um mm. and Well, and she's having this obsessive love affair with with joseph kennedy when, when she yes. writes later about it she's she she puts it in terms of like what was what was happening with me that i was doing this thing yes she she even seems bewildered <laughs> well he promised yeah. to get her life together you know and mm-hmm. he seemed so he had done so well financially and mm-hmm. it wasn't just swanson the whole world trusted not trusted but believed in joe kennedy you know that that he could make a success of whatever he touched mm-hmm. and she believed it too and he was you know he was very smitten with her and mm-hmm. she kind of submitted to an affair with him and it was you know it seemed like he was more into the i think he was more fulfilled by the sexual side of their relationship he was no great shakes in the sack according to <laughs> <laughs> she published that in her no. autobiography um this is like a two-minute man um but um and she was she was very reliant on him for you know for 
just like being the big strong man in her life you know it's mm-hmm. uh so but he really fucked her over and as queen kelly rapped disastrously they mm. carried on an affair for like i think it was like three years of, mm. from like about 28 to 1931 mm-hmm. and in 1931 gloria swanson can uh, like said in passing to kennedy that she noticed he charged something to mm. to her production company to gloria Productions, some mm-hmm. some large gift like a coat or a car or something mm-hmm. and he got incensed and he left and she basically never saw him again mm. and she uncovered that he charged gifts that she had he had allegedly given her like an automobile mm. furs expensive mm-hmm. jewelry all to her production company mm. and she was nearly a million dollars in debt yet again so yeah he 1000 percent fucked her over left Mm. her life she says it was a great lesson um Mm. she reads every line of every you know contract (laughs) thoroughly for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. um but he really he brought down that sort of opulent era of her Mm -hmm. career and then like that sort of you know gloria as the most the the biggest spender that Mm -hmm. was over Mm -hmm. um kind of thanks to joe kennedy so right right right. yeah and by then, he, so he takes her into the talk here, all right? If it's still 31. She takes herself. Uh, she wrote The Trespasser, um, uh-huh. I, I believe, after he left. And she's like, fuck it. Oh, no, no, uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. He's still with her. He's still there. Yeah. yeah. they're make, Yes, they're right. That's right. So it goes like Sadie Thompson. They mm-hmm. make Queen Kelly. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster. They, like, pause it for the, a second trying to figure mm-hmm. out an ending. She mm-hmm. writes The Trespasser, like, with some friends in her mm-hmm. apartment. Um, they make it in 1929. It's a talkie. It's a big success. You know, mm-hmm. they do it on the cheap. Um, mm-hmm. She got a second Oscar nomination. You know, mm-hmm. insane. Um, and he felt, yeah, that's right. Kennedy was pissed because he had no hand in that. And, uh. that, you know, it was cheap to make and a big success. And he was like, damn. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And then, yeah. And, and then I think she makes one more film for her own production company called What mm-hmm. a Widow. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's actually in the early talkies, she does a lot of singing. Yes. I've yeah. seen clips and it's like she's, you're wondering, is that really her voice? And it is. It is. Quite good. She wanted to be an opera singer. I mean, I don't think she's quite opera singer material, but she's mm-hmm. operetta material. You know, she's mm-hmm. got a light, pretty soprano. Mm-hmm. And she's in this, oh, there's this one film from this talkie era. They're all kind of weird. They're, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've never, I don't really understand the early talkies. They always put me off. I think because they Oh, me like, too. The yeah. hardest films to watch. Oh, yeah. So static yeah. and there's like no yes. diegetic score mm-hmm. <laughs> or non-diegetic score. I mean, um, mm-hmm. there's this really crazy film, though, called Tonight or Never. It's a pre-code movie, so it's pretty racy. Mm-hmm. And Mervyn Leroy directed it. Um, who the hell is in it? It's like she she plays an, an opera singer, like a, a you know, a, a big one. And she wants to her goal is to, like, get a contract at the Metropolitan Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like depressed about her love life. And there are rumors going around about this jig that a fellow opera singer used mm-hmm. and who I think like, you know, put the, the verve back in her stuff. <laughs> and so, Gloria yeah. Swanson. Um, I think it's like, it's like Melvin Douglas and it's a case of mistaken identity. He's not a gigolo. He's like mm-hmm. a secret agent doing something. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Melvin <laughs> Douglas like presses her to ch- actually try to entrap her for whatever he's investigating. And mm-hmm. he, he's passing himself off as this gigolo. And there's this like scene where it's like a six minute seduction scene. She really wants to give in to him, but she has mm-hmm. to sing like Tosca the next night. Um, <laughs> problems, problems. 
lives. And, but she does. She ends up sleeping with him. And like, it's amazing. She feels reborn. She gives the performance of her career. And then he tries to blackmail him later. But there's all this like sex out of wedlock. That is very, that's not going to happen after 1933 when mm-hmm. the when the iron fist of the production code really comes down. Um, so, yeah. And it's a very sexy seduction scene. Melvin mm-hmm. Douglas, who knew? Um, <laughs> yes. So can recommend. Mm-hmm. Good, good. <laughs> yes. And after that, she does, you know, she piddles around. She's still she's still a, a major enough star, um, but she really gets a, a kind of a, a second go round in theater. And she does the play 20th Century on Broadway. Um, and she's just as good. You wouldn't think it because she's really not formally trained. But she she has like quite a, a theatrical career and she continues in films, you know, through the through the 40s. Hmm. And then. And then. <laughs> <laughs> then it's time for the for the don't call it a co- I hate that word. It's a return. Oh, yes. That's right. It's a return. <laughs> Not a comeback. <laughs> but Sunset Boulevard is so big, so big a success, such a phenomenon that I think that's what strikes people. And it's just the nature of the subject matter that that it, it seems to be that the plot itself seems to be about unearthing um this this half buried former star yeah. um, who's in a mausoleum like 1920s mansion, you know, with her, um, you know, her butler who it turns out was her third husband and that's Eric von Stroheim. So you've got his, his sad ruined career trailing behind this melancholy role he's playing, which he didn't want to play, but yeah. he needed the money. Um, and you know, you've got, you know, the people that she's playing cards with and they, you know, they're described as the waxworks and one of them is Buster Keaton and they're all 1920s, you know, big personalities mm-hmm. who are now, you know, reduced to this kind of, again, this, this twilight. Um, so a lot of that, I think, has colored the, the impression that it's the, the unearthing of Gloria Swanson, who you're right, is, was always very, very active, very, very busy, moving easily uh, among all sorts of different media. Mm-hmm. She's an early... She's fearless about television. She's fearless about going on the stage. She becomes a columnist for a while. I mean, she does so many things in her life. Yeah. Um, she's the opposite of, in fact, the Norma Desmond who walls herself up because she can't bear to, not to be a film star anymore. Right. Um, so I think that's 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 part of it. They, they, the role has colored people's image of Gloria Swanson. Right. And that, yeah, it's not at all the case, but the, as, I mean, the film has such an amazing, for 1950s, Sunset Boulevard, it still is like, it's like a fetid perfume. I forgot, Pauline Kale has a wonderful phrase about it. You know, it's something like it's like a dying orchid. Like, you don't mm-hmm. want to see it. You can't, you can't smell it every day, mm-hmm. but like, it certainly was something for 1950. Like, it's, um, it's so decadent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so. It also has a very kind of like S and M feel. Very. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seems it, to have been built into her image. It's amazing that they didn't conceive the role for her. They were considering all sorts of crazy people <laughs> for that. Yeah, part. I forgot. And you're like, was... really? Yeah. I guess he wanted Mae West. And what? Like, what? And admittedly, she was doing the reclusive thing where she would just oh, withdraw right. with her, you know, muscle muscle guys <laughs> yeah. and have a lot of sex and not come out unless she was all bizarrely quaffed and looked oh, really God. freakish. Um, so she, I, maybe that's what inspired him. But yeah, the, the choices before Gloria Swanson are bewildering. She's so perfect. And she gives such a perfect performance. She's she perfect. does magical things with how big the, well, the, the performance needs to be big because she's obviously she's supposed to be this woman who's going mad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, surrounded by images of her young self, dreaming of this 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 quote unquote comeback that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but she does a performance that so pits so perfectly. Um, one of my favorite scenes is where she's she's raging. You know, the one we described. You're, you're, she's showing her young gigolo, played by um, William Holden. He's a he's a failing um, screenwriter on his absolute last legs. His car is about to be repossessed, and he winds up stumbling into her mansion and getting mm-hmm. hired as a screenwriter for her. She wants to make a comeback in a very 20s-like film, Salome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he's having to watch films. with. She'll only watch her own films. And she's raging to him, and she stands up into the light of the movie that's being projected and says, I'll be up there again, so help me. Mm-hmm. And she shakes her fist in this very silent-era pantomime acting, and then she does something so perfect. She silently turns her head to the side, as if she's holding the shot. It's, it's almost like scene, but you yep. hold. <laughs> yep. But it really seems not just training, but it's really inspired by some sense of herself that is so mad and so brilliant. You can't praise the, the performance enough. It's, it's exquisite. <laughs> she no. never, there's not a wrong note. And it's so bold of her personally to do it because obviously the risk is that everyone thinks you are that. Yes. You know, her biography is so perfectly aligned with Norma Desmond that, mm-hmm. you, you know, everyone's going to think like she's this crazy old bat. And they, <laughs> right. they kind of did. Yeah. Um, but but I think, you know, hmm, we do because we're a little more removed in time. But again, because Swanson was so visible, especially on television, often mm-hmm. introducing her own, you know, her old films, appearing on talk shows. Mm-hmm. I think like she did enough so that people remembered she was still alive and vibrant and not crazy, mm-hmm. but it it's so, so brave. And the film is so clever. I mean, it is, it is the smartest movie ever made about movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so interesting to teach. I, I always teach this in my stardom class. I always mm-hmm. have them do a, like a sequence analysis assignment on this film. And what's really interesting, I mean, the the misogynist view of this film remains. Most people come out uh, mm-hmm. thinking that Norma's a monster, except the smart ones, um, <laughs> and that poor William poor Holden, Joe. poor yeah. Joe Gillis, is a victim, it's even a though victim. everything is telling you that is not the case. It's amazing that that that's how people can read that. Wow, it, I know it, but it's it's wow. kind of an amazing film because everyone's an operator. Everyone mm-hmm. on the screen is there to become famous in Hollywood. In a way, Norma. Desmond is the only character who is honest about her, like her intent, her goals, <laughs> her mm-hmm. pursuits, her intentions. You know, when she when she hires Joe, um, she wants him to write a script. I'm sure she also wants to sleep with him, you know, mm-hmm. but but whatever that, you know, he's he can refuse <laughs> um, right. and he moves in willingly. He knows why he's being hired, you know, mm-hmm. and he kind of he pretends to, to write the script and he pretends to keep her at, at arm's length. But it's going to come to a to a head when she kind of pretends to well not really pretend i don't know it's debatable um she threatens to kill herself and well, she does cut her wrists she does it's true wrists, yeah but, but Madame, right. you don't know how deeply <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> could be right, a judy right. garland you know yeah uh, glass across the throat situation mm-hmm. um and he could you know he comes back and basically agrees to be her her gigolo and she she buys him uh, you know, beautiful suits and gifts mm-hmm. and all of these things. And so at, at the end, you know, he lies to her throughout the picture. You find out that her butler, Max, played by Eric von Stroheim, mm-hmm. in the, this is the most S&M thing of all, is that uh, throughout the picture, he's maintaining her legend 
for her artificially. He writes her fan letters that she right. thinks are from real people throughout. Mm-hmm. So he he maintains this bubble. He really is the cruelest of all because he makes her continue to believe that she possesses a, a level of fame that she no but longer she, has. He doesn't know he's being cruel. He thinks that's the only way to save her because she can't bear, supposedly, finding out she's not a star. So when he tells it, it's all about like, and he comes back to live with her as her butler. <laughs> I mean, you he know, shades of male and female. He, he was, was her husband. Her yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the whole situation is so twisted. And, and it, it alerts you from the beginning. You know, Joe Gillis shows up. He's a complete, like, ne'er-do-well cynic. You know, he's even his writing is kind of getting to be no good because she's so desperate to have a hit Yeah, that he's just writing whatever he thinks he can sell. But anyway, he winds up stumbling in upon the, the elaborate funeral she's holding and he thinks it's for a child. There's a <laughs> satin line coffin and everything else. And her, her pet chimpanzee, her beloved pet chim- chimpanzee. Yes. So right away, there's this kind of scary twistedness. But the thing about Norma is she's the most vulnerable of anyone. This is yes. the weirdest thing. Yet because she's so driven and open and, and obsessed with the only thing she wants, <laughs> she's the only one who seems like she's not playing any side game. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah. yeah. And the, the chimpanzee, by the way, is foreshadowing, mm. <laughs> but not mm. really because this film very famously opens. W- well, not o- the, actually the opening shot of this film, which is fabulous, is a shot of the war. It's a shot of a street corner in Hollywood. Mm. And then it, it pans down to the gutter, the gutter. Uh, which is printed <laughs> Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. <laughs> <It is> beautiful. <laughs> and then you, you travel along with a police car to a crime scene mm. and our protagonist, Joe Gillis, is floating dead in the pool mm-hmm. it's the best and narrating yep. <laughs> and narrating from yep. dead in the pool it's so uh, beautiful. it can't yeah and, and the film is perfect it's a perfect film and so yeah it's got this weird mix of like um very like in the know film noir you know mm-hmm. like very clever and not uh, not kind of not taking itself too seriously and then this like devastatingly emotional performance from mm-hmm. Swanson that's mm-hmm. like like 100% sincere but also really over the top i don't it's like a very strange mix of elements mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just mesmerizing you if you start watching any scene you're just you just get locked in all over again even if you know the film practically by heart as we do yeah <laughs> we know it too well yeah, yeah. probably for our own yeah. mental health i i remember watching this film with my grandmother who like mm. every one of her generation my grandma was born in like the the 20s so you know she came of age during the height of the studio system and like mm-hmm. everyone loved the movies and i was watching this one day you know well I'm, I'm a vhs and she's like oh she's like she's like this is awfully depressing and i i thought she would like it because it was an old movie you know mm. i was like oh 1950 grandma like that mm. this but i was like oh man like even mm. even though it's of her time she was like it's a bit much you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like i think that's really true and it, it's good to remember like it is very rich <laughs> oh it is and it's and it just is is got such it's hard to even, you're not expecting how much weird, weird emotions are going to watch. I, mean, I read a great account just very recently in the last couple of weeks. Someone was talking about having, having ha- had the movie on and watching it and their child was in the room and had to get up and leave. Because they couldn't <laughs> handle Gloria Swanson as Norma, as Norma Desmond because her, her eyes were so crazy. Yes. He got scared and left the room. <laughs> I love Which, that. Yep. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Yeah, oh, that's such a triumph. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so it uh, God, you can't even say it holds up. It's such a great movie. We, we would never make this movie now. It's too great and it's too bold. And yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's really, really. As, as Louis B. Film. Mayer said, the head of MGM, he, he <laughs> yes. fucking hated this film. It's not an oh. MGM film, but he said it bites the hand that feeds. <laughs> right. right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. It, he hated these films that were coming out right at this time, which we mentioned before, that, that suddenly we're looking, it was Hollywood looks at Hollywood and it's not a pretty picture kind of mm-hmm. film. And this is the ultimate of the not a pretty picture. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. At least he about- got that it's presenting present day Hollywood as not a good place exactly good god yeah Yeah, it's it's true i mean some people miss it i don't know how but it's all about how the system is a meat grinder and it doesn't Mm. matter who you are if you are like if you start out an earnest writer from the midwest Mm. or you're you know like a a a little girl with a face for most motion pictures or even a german director you're gonna be like eaten up you know Mm. ground up and spit out by the system so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Keep that in mind when you watch it. You should yeah. watch it. Of all the films we mentioned, that's the ultimate. You know, if you oh. happen to have not seen it, you've got to see it. Essential. Essential. Yeah. So and it's almost too big. It's, it's so big as a kind of career capstone yeah. that as much as you want to say, oh, I wish you could have done 10 more films as great. It's yeah, it's hard to imagine what those films would have been. Yeah. She she's st- you know she does a couple movies she does things like Airport <laughs> where she makes yeah. cameos, um she does yeah. a lot more work on Broadway she's she works up until her death in 1983 she's mm-hmm. born in 1899 she dies in 1983 she looks fabulous throughout oh my her God. life because she becomes vegan mm-hmm. <laughs> in the 20s mm-hmm. yeah. And she's yeah. she's really into vegetarian veganism and yoga mm-hmm. and holistic health practices way before her time. Mm-hmm. For her, this came out of um, a couple of different illnesses that she mm-hmm. had, um, and so a, and a doctor prescribed uh, a vegan diet first, mm-hmm. and then she got into yoga. Um, she healed herself from some really awful oh, yeah. wounds related favorite. to <laughs> childbirth. Yeah, by sunning her her nether regions uh, yeah. <laughs> for like she, hours she per day. Was out on a rooftop with her legs spread toward the sun yeah and 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 using an eyedropper full of what was it salt water yeah genitalia yeah apparently the doctor said not only are you cured you look like a virgin again (laughs) if anyone wants to try the Gloria Swanson method (laughs) it's available to you salt water and sunshine and apparently like a mint like you know you can't your days have to be entirely free yeah (laughs) exactly yeah yeah this is her own treatment she came up with it she did yeah this was her idea the doctor certainly didn't recommend it yeah and she continues um she you know her eighth husband um is a guy (laughs) named william dufty who is a pretty Mm -hmm. famous writer he co you know he goes through lady sings the blues Mm -hmm. billy holiday's autobiography he also wrote um oh god sugar sugar blues which is still in print so yeah it's this anti-sugar health thing from the Mm -hmm. 70s all right i remember that yeah when i was a little kid my 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 childhood friend's parents became obsessed with the sugar menace. Oh my I god! Think that was it. There was some best-selling book. That's it. It's been yeah. in pra- it's been in um yeah. in print since then. And yeah. he he was a good like fifteen years younger than she was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that becomes her last husband. And they and they she have- has an amazingly unlined face. Amazing. It's weird. And she stays just whip thin. She did have surgery. I got to oh, say. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh. But like very well done, tasteful. Very surgery. well done. Yeah. You're just like it, it literally is a little fool of the eye. She doesn't look absolutely too young. Right. But she definitely just stays looking amazingly fit 
and glowing with health and and smooth skinned. It's really it's an eerie thing. Yes, she was religious about it. I mean, she would bring her own little tin box of food to wherever she was going, even if it mm. was like a, you know, a banquet for whatever, like the French Legion of Honor. I don't know. You know <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So she was she was totally um, regimented about that. And it paid mm. off. She looked really good forever. But it made her seem super eccentric. But on the other hand, it gave her tons to talk about. She could go on talk shows and be on and on about this. And everyone was fascinated. Yeah, she would fit in much better now. Yes. Now it wouldn't seem nearly as eccentric. Well, this is the interesting thing about her. We were we were talking about this. She seems like the earliest, starting with in the twenties, she's the earliest of this like rich white woman type. Not mm. only to be into holistic health practices, but coupled with a political conservatism. Mm. So she's she's a Republican. Um, you know, she stomps for Goldwater, and then mm. there's this weird moment because Gloria is a lot of things. She's not a Christian per se, mm. but she was she made a speech on behalf of this mandatory prayer in schools movement that mercifully failed in 1964. (laughs) You can only guess it's related to some like vague notion of spirituality. Like we all need to be more spiritual. I don't know Mm. what the deal is. Um, Mm. But it it is this weird, it's the beginning of this weird type of like being a, a, like a rapacious capitalist. Right. Like And a kind of what we now call a new ager. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh And like, how do those things come together? But they come together in the same constellation today, Mm -hmm. like particularly, uh, you know, upper middle class and 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 just straight up rich white women. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? I don't I still haven't worked it out. It's something about like thinking, you know, better Mm -hmm. than like science or doctors, you know, Mm -hmm. like you did a saltwater and sunshine experiment and now you understand (laughs) medicine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Couple. I I just don't know. I don't know. But she's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. and and, as Eileen was saying, she did a whole like, you know, um, tons of talk show appearances through through the 70s and famously wrote one of the best movie star by autobiographies called Swanson on Swanson mm-hmm. um, that remains like really excellent and entertaining to this day. Mm-hmm. So though it's much in dispute as far as if you want factual. Oh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> you about know, that? She could be challenged on almost every claim. It sometimes seems. Yeah. Um, if, you read other, if you read other biographies. But yeah. that's not unusual. David Niven is always highly praised for The Moon's a Balloon and Bring on the Empty Horses, his, oh, his yeah. autobiographies. And so many people have said David Niven loved to tell a good story so much you couldn't believe anything he said. He was just <laughs> comp- constantly embroidered to make anecdotes better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's so great when anyone can do a good memoir. Right. Um, it's so rare, especially of the people who lived in those fascinating times and you wish you had more first person accounts of this um but you often get these kind of plotting ghost written eh, messes that are careful don't tell you anything um so yeah you have to praise you have to really prize one when it comes along and swanson on swanson is really good super memorable i still remember passages from it i can still remember her account of going to the becoming a vegan when she goes to the doctor the doctor she's having some sort of stomach digestive issues and he says just tell me what you ate today and she's (laughs) list starting to list all and of course she's living on the again opulent feasting kind of nothing but the best but it's just like this staggering array of cocktails and fine foods right and apparently she gets three quarters of the way through this list and feels such physical revulsion 
that she immediately realizes what he's driving at, that it's yeah. her diet that's killing her. And then it's from then on, it's like, I don't know, celery water. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, very vivid in her descriptions, which again, it's a great thing in, a, in any memoir. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we you don't go, don't go to it for the facts. That's not what we're here. That's what we're here for. But go to it for the spirit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I I think that's it. I think we've Gloria. wrapped up our Gloria. So, yes. yes, let's let's that's it for our Gloria episode. And thank you, dear listeners. Um, and triple thanks, of course, to our subscribers who keep us in silk and sables and peacock feathers. Um, if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like it here, please. Re- Please consider signing up with Patreon for all the Film Suck content instead of just the half you can get that's publicly available. You can follow News of the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please do join us for our ongoing series of great old, uh, called Great Old Broads running um, from August into the fall or until we run out of Great Old Broads. <laughs> and I, I neglected to mention our wonderful title for this episode, which I believe is going to be our first. It is our first. Mm-hmm. This is the silent era beginning. Um, we call it, and it's of course a quote from Sunset Boulevard, Gloria Swanson, have they forgotten what a star looks like? (laughs) Can't get better than that. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.